0: Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 70th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week. First with a point about the Chiefs and what suddenly and sort of subtly one of the most interesting and important games of the regular season. And then the questions get angry, um, including one about Steve Spagnuolo and the defense, um, Daniel Sorensen and Juan Thornhill. And then we also get a question about the potential new downtown ballpark. Uh, the bonus section is all about the Chiefs, specifically the defense, which I know a lot of you want to talk about. Uh, but we're starting here, which is a point I thought a little bit about late Sunday night. And has only been growing stronger and stronger in my head since. And it's basically this. um, In just isolated and pure terms of interest, in Sunday's game against the Chargers, it's great that the Chiefs lost. Um, Let me explain. This is a prideful group. um, And I think at times, it's also a bit of a comfortable group. um, A satisfied group. Mahomes has tried to sort of like knock this tendency loose with this 20-0 thing which we've talked about, you know, his motivations behind that before. Um, And I don't want this to be taken as a diminishment of the Ravens and who they are or the Browns in week one. But we're two weeks into a season that the Chiefs said that they'd put it all together and focus on winning each practice and winning each meeting and each snap and all that. And they're (laughs) one-on-one with the win coming when they trail by two possessions at home in the fourth quarter. And the loss coming when they absolutely just gave a game away and got smacked in the mouth by a hungrier and sharper opponent. Um, You know, it's kind of funny. Like, if you think about this, the Chiefs have lost three regular season games in the last two seasons. Uh, The first against the Raiders and (laughs) the Raiders may or may not have taken the bus for a victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium after that. Uh, The second was against the Chargers, and even though it was against as many backups as the rules allowed Andy Reid to put on the field, the Chargers' social media accounts still tried to take clips of that game and sort of like dunk on the Chiefs. And now the third, and this is easily the best team of the bunch that they lost to out of those three, Um, but afterward, Ravens coach John Harbaugh said this in the Ravens locker room. We've had great wins around here, but I don't think we've ever had one bigger than that. I don't think we ever have. You know how crazy that is? Like John Harbaugh has literally won a Super Bowl with the Ravens and he's calling a week 2 win at home against the Chiefs as big as anything they've ever done? <laughs> I mean, like I, I look, I get it. Um he he sort of swept up in the emotion of the moment, right? Um which is exactly the point here. Um the point is that with with a few exceptions, um, maybe the Bills, maybe the Packers, and I would include the Bucks here if they were on the regular season schedule, but they're not. But it's just, the, with a few exceptions, the Chiefs are going to be operating at sort of an emotional deficit every game they play. I mean, they'll talk all the right talk, right? They'll use press conferences to say that every game in the NFL is important and all that stuff. But at some point, like, unless you're facing an opponent that's beat before kickoff, um, which the Chiefs have done before. But if, if, unless that's the case, at some point when you're in like the NFL's glamour team, it's just, it's impossible to put as much emotion into a game as an opponent that's been looking forward to this thing for weeks, right? Like the Chiefs are playing other teams' Super Bowls, like pretty much every week. And all that company line stuff that the Chiefs talk about, it just cannot erase human nature. And here we go right now. The Chiefs are coming off getting their teeth kicked in a little bit. And these mistakes on the NFL's biggest regular season stage, and now they're at home against a team they've been hearing about all offseason as a serious threat, not just in the division, but the AFC. And, you know, we talked last week about how the Chiefs had to expect the Ravens to present the best version of themselves in that situation, right? Like, after the loss to the Raiders in Week 1. And uh, I think now we're in a spot where the Chargers probably need to expect the Chiefs to present the best version of themselves. And there's two guys in particular that I think benefit from that, and that is Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones, because both those guys, I think we've seen it over the years, they really use those emotional moments well. And and I don't know if it's that they rise to the moment um, as much as it is that they just don't shake when those moments come. You know what I mean? Um, and guys, even at that top level, even at the highest level in the sport, there's guys that shake when those big moments come, you know? And look, we we've seen both Mahomes and Jones do it in those spots, right? Like I mean, geez, with like with Mahomes the list is like almost like comically long, right? And and with Jones, I think we saw that in the second half of the season opener against the Browns. Um, you know, that's just the most recent example with him. Um there's a bunch others. The Super Bowl, notwithstanding. Um, you know, all right, so those are like force multiplier sort of moments, right? Because everybody on that offense gets a little juice. From Mahomes when he gets that look, you know, and and I think the same is true of the defense and Jones, and so this is just really a fun matchup: the Chiefs and the Chargers, just all over the field. The Chargers are good, right? Like I mean, we can make our jokes, but this team might finally be turning. And I know they lost last week, and, and the Raiders are two and zero. And even beat the Chiefs last year, like we talked about before. But the the Chargers are where my money would be on the next threat to the Chiefs in the division. Um, And even if they're not, I just think these matchups are going to be a delight. Like Joey Bosa going to be rushing against Lucas Niang and Orlando Brown on his way to Mahomes. And Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are going to be working against Derwin James on routes. Chris Jones is going against Rashawn Slater, who really looks like one of the game's best young left tackles. And Tyron Matthew is going to be trying to trick Justin Herbert into something. So, like the the Chiefs and the Chargers each have like enough young talent that this game is always going to be interesting. Twice every year, you know, with the exception of times like last year, I guess, where the Chiefs were, you know, resting their starters in the last in the last game, but. I think there are little moments that go a long way toward defining seasons, and I think the Chiefs have a hell of an opportunity here. Coming off a loss that everybody saw, going against an opponent that a lot of people think is the next challenger in the division, this is one of those spots where there's nowhere to hide. You know what I mean? And and look, the Chiefs have typically been pretty dang stellar in these spots, and I just can't wait to see if it happens again. Okay, Uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, here is the spiel. Three asks, and you know we're still cool if you do one, two, or even zero. Um, But i got to ask. The first, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. A dollar a month for the first three months, or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and and I'll send the link along. Uh, The second, please rate and review us. We appreciate the love you've given us already. Uh, I see you. We thank you. Um, We see all the five-star ratings. Thank you. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, uh, if you haven't already given us the, the rating and review, please do it. Um, helps us get the word out. And the third thing, um, if you want to participate in next week's show, and I hope you do, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime. 816 234 4365 One more time. Here's the number. Rewind it if you don't catch it clean. 816-234-4365. Um, all right, guys. Uh, appreciate you. Quick break, and then we're back with the questions.
1: Hey, Sam, you wrote an article about the Chiefs and blamed it on Mahomes, and that's not true. Mahomes is the best quarterback, but so is Lamar Jackson. They are both good. That was an exciting game. The defense doesn't play half the game. The defense sits over there with, uh, what's his name, the coach, um, Spagnola, leaning over like, oh, my God, did they do that? Did they do that? Uh, like he's in question of his defense team. The defense doesn't play well, and isn't that the coach's fault? I know in um, business, if the clerk does something wrong, the manager is blamed. Let's get to Spag. Get rid of him, for Christ's sakes.
0: Okay, so uh, things got a little heated this week, <laughs> yes. uh, which is fine, which is good. That's part of the fun in sports, right? And I'm not directing this at this particular caller obviously uh, because I'm cl- including her question um passion is good but you guys like I'm sitting here laughing because it, it's it's funny to me but you can't guys just listen you can't call in for the podcast and and start dropping f-bombs Right? <laughs> like, you just, it doesn't work. I mean, trust me, like, I, I probably cuss as much as any of you listening, but I'd also prefer to not either have to redo this whole show after my editor hears it, um, or get fired. Right? Like, those, <laughs> those are the two options if I included, uh, some of these questions that you got, that you guys called in with this week. Um, so just work with me. Um, although I, I do have to admit. Um Scott from Lee Summit, <laughs> if you, if you're listening, um that the line about Sorensen really made me laugh. So <laughs> can't, can't again, can't include the question. But thank you for thank you for the phone call. Um okay, let's get, let's get to the question here. Um, I hope we're not getting to this point with Spags. Guys, um you know, the the defense has been a tire fire. Like they've been atrocious. I mean like in my head, I was thinking that the Chiefs were a lot better in the second half of the Browns game, right? Like, they only gave up the one touchdown, they got two turnovers. But then I went back and rewatched it, and the Browns should be ashamed of themselves for getting away from the run like that. And 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 also basically just panicking. Um, you know, the, the biggest problem the Chiefs have right now is just at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Chris Jones is the only one getting pressures, which maybe would be fine, but the Chiefs have spent just too much pressure money and and just too many resources there like frank clark obviously but also a lot of second round picks jaron reed signing i mean they've just spent enough to have a front seven like the 49ers or steelers or broncos and it's just it's not there um they need to get better like all of them coaches and players and if not then there will be some decisions after the season um you know steve spagnolo has a lot of juice in that building because that defense was an unmitigated disaster in every possible way before he took over. And a year later, they were Super Bowl champions. So my guess is that after the season, the Chiefs, will they're going to cut Frank Clark. They'll cut Anthony Hitchens uh, for cap space, which I think will be around $20 million combined. Um, And depending on extensions for Tyron Matthew and Orlando Brown and Tyree Kill, I think they're going to try to add more production up front as well as maybe another playmaker on offense, probably some depth in the secondary. But look guys, we're only two games in and the chiefs have played like two really good teams. So I don't, I just don't think it's the best idea to panic. Um, You know, there were a lot of people wanting to throw the entire defense into the ocean in October or so of 2019. You know what I mean? So look, the, the chiefs were 24th in points allowed in 2018 and they've been seventh and 10th in Spags two seasons. So, um, I just I, I think we can wait a bit and see how this plays out. there There are a ton of mistakes. We detailed them in the game column, the minutes, and another column that I think will be on the website by the time you hear this. Uh, we're just we're not ignoring the tackling problems or the edge setting problems or the assignment discipline or any of it. but I just I do think that two games isn't the best time to start you know blowing the whole thing up. Um, and Scott, if <laughs> sorry to go back to but Scott, if you're listening, please call back again. Uh, you sound like a funny guy. Uh, we just need to keep the the uh the, the F bombs out of it. All right. Um okay, uh one more airing of Chiefs grievances here. Hey Sam, this is Ian.
1: I am in KC, Kansas. Uh just wanted to see what your opinion is of um the time uh that uh, Sorensen and Neiman are getting on the field. Um how that's affected by Willie Gay coming back and uh, your take on um, if those guys are as big of a problem as fans seem to think they are. All right, give me. Uh, thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So, like, <laughs> with Sorensen and Juan Thornhill, um, I strongly believe in two things. Uh, the first is that Thornhill has the higher ceiling, uh, more versatility, fewer limitations. And when he's right, he is a really good player, long, smart, athletic, just a, a lot of the traits you want for that position. Um And he's a, a really good compliment, uh compliment with two E's, or he's a really good compliment for Tyron Matthew because he has a lot of range, as sort of a, you know, a center fielder back there. And I strongly believe that he should be playing a lot more. I don't think it's a coincidence. He played just 11 snaps against the Ravens. And I don't think it's a total coincidence that he was on the field two of those 11 snaps were tyron matthews interceptions i just because i think that forces lamar jackson to do some other things he can't just throw deep that's covered so he's got to force the ball into a tight window and we see what happens I, I just i don't think that's a coincidence um but here's the second part of this that i also believe steve spagnuolo is not stupid dave Merritt not stupid sam madison not stupid andy reed also not stupid Uh, They see practices and we don't they're in the meetings and we're not they know the assignments during the games and we don't so I mean look like that doesn't mean those guys are above criticism or or that we should just assume that every decision they make is the correct one They're human Um, And I do believe that sometimes you can get lost in the forest because of the trees kind of thing But on this one, it just seems so obvious from the outside And the answers are so consistent from the inside that I just have to think we're missing something And, you know, look, now this is where I go on my little mini rant real quick. Just indulge me, please. And I'm going to tell you, I think if football could lose some of its sort of like military culture... Um, or just slide a little more toward the baseball culture, where the default is to share information to fans so they can better understand what's going on with their favorite teams, uh, because fans matter and should be valued. Um, I think if football could do that a little bit more, then we'd have a better answer on all this. But it is what it is, and that toothpaste isn't going back in the tube. So anyway, uh, rant over. At this point, like I-, I think we just have to assume that Thornhill is good physically. Because if we're still talking about a knee injury from almost two full years ago, then we've got some bigger issues. But uh, assuming that he's good physically, the stuff that makes the most sense to me is that either Thornhill isn't completely there mentally, like he's having just a bit of a confidence thing going on, um, or the Chiefs are just in a spot where they trust Sorensen to be in the right spot more often. And his instincts and history of making big plays are just kind of carrying the day, at least for now. So if it's a second thing, then... Okay. I can get behind that, the idea that you're making Thornhill, you know, earn it. And if it's the first thing, then maybe they feel like bringing Thornhill along slowly is the best path. But I just I I, I keep going back to this. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the best version of the Chiefs defense is with Thornhill getting most of the snaps next to Matthew. And so just for the Chiefs' sake, I just I, I hope that's the goal. Um Okay, guys, uh, one more question, and who doesn't like a little speculation? Hi, Sam, big
1: fan of the podcast. I just was calling with two quick questions. Um, first question was, obviously, you you saw Sherman's announcement last week that kind of the downtown stadium was inevitable after the lease was required, so I was just wondering in your opinion where uh, the most likely location for where they would place the stadium downtown Um me and my friends were trying to figure it out, and we really couldn't come to a conclusion. So maybe we don't know as much as you, and you have an answer to that. Second question, obviously I don't know your fantasy expertise, but I always struggle with uh, knowing who to start in my flex position. It's full PPR, and it's Devonta Smith. I believe he's playing at Dallas on Monday night. And then you got Tyson Williams, the running back for Baltimore, playing at Detroit. Um, and it's full point PPR. I'm trying to figure out who to start my flex. I seem to always screw it up. So I figure I'd ask someone a lot smarter than me. Have a great day and thanks for all you do.
0: Okay, so the, the beauty of this is that there's multiple spots that might work. Um the footprint of a baseball stadium is actually a bit smaller than you might think, or I don't know what you think. I should say that's a bit smaller than I thought. Um, you know, Target Field in Minneapolis is the smallest stadium at baseball, so keep that in mind. But the footprint there is only eight and a half acres. So you can get a ballpark in pretty easily with four city blocks. There's a spot toward the north end of downtown that might work, sort of across the highway from the city market. Um, the spot that's been talked about the most, or I guess I should qualify this and say the spot that I've heard talked about the most, uh, is sort of east of City Hall, kind of behind the T-Mobile Center, Um Both those locations come with pluses and minuses, and it's worth noting here um, that City Hall spot is also next to the J.E. Dunn offices. And the Dunn family is part of John Sherman's investment group. Uh, Presumably, they'd be doing the construction. Um, There's a couple other spots that could work, including in the crossroads, but I want to make two points here. The first is that there are options, and that many of those options would include close proximity to highways, And when you start to think about downtown, I know the tendency is to talk about convenience, and I get it. But one thing you get with downtown naturally is just sort of more paths out. You know, there's roads everywhere, not just like a few exit ramps to a highway. And I'm not telling you that a a downtown ballpark could match the convenience of a big open parking lot near the suburbs. But I am telling you that I'm curious to see the traffic studies on this um, that I assume are being done or have been done. Because I I think it's entirely possible that a downtown ballpark could be as or more convenient for basically everyone who doesn't live in Lee Summit or eastern Jackson County. Um, But I also want to point out one thing from what John Sherman said about all this a few weeks ago. I, I think the interest in a downtown ballpark has been sort of an open secret since the purchase. I mean, You know, we've written about that in the paper and talked about it here on the show. But this really stood out to me, what he said. It's, it's when John was talking about the criteria that will be used in making the decision. And he talked about, you know, a meaningful community impact that is real and measurable. He talked about economic growth for the area that's real and measurable. And this is the part that really, really stood out to me. I'm quoting here. He said, we need to have a positive impact on the quality of life for our citizens of Kansas City with a particular focus on our underrepresented parts of our community, parts of the community. He did not say that by accident, guys. Um, he was not talking off the cuff. And I don't know exactly what he means by that. And trust me, I wish I did. But I do know that John has been you know, a supporter of the Negro Leagues Museum since long before he bought into the Royals. I know all the work the Royals have been doing with the Urban Youth Academy at 18th and Vine. And I don't know. I I just I wonder if when John talks about a downtown ballpark, we're all thinking about, you know, like power and light and city market and all that. And maybe John is thinking something a little bit closer to 18th and Vine. I don't know that. Um, I want to be clear about that. Maybe I'm just hearing something that's not there. Um, You know, maybe when he says the thing about underrepresented parts of the community, maybe what he means is more in terms of like sort of what we're seeing with vendors at the airport right now, that the concession stands will have, you know, representative number of minority owned spots. Maybe that's that's what he means. It's just something I'm wondering about. So, okay, guys, um, another awesome round of questions. I appreciate you. Uh, One more break, and then we are going to come back and finish strong.
1: Uh, look, normally I don't say anything to open up. I'm going to just, let me just say a couple things real quick. Because I probably have a pretty good idea of some of the questions. Um, first thing I would say is, uh, it's never good, and we know this is a defense, to give up 36 points. It's hard to win games this we, when you give up. Uh, and our focus is always on points allowed. To us, that's the most important thing. Number one factor in that, we felt like was the tackling. Um, I think it's kind of obvious, We have got to play better in the fourth quarter another note I have, and that was really two drives. You know, it was a long drive that they kind of kept the football. And then we went into what you call a four-minute defense, which for two two downs, we did really good. Getting to a third and eight in a four-minute, that's a good thing. Um, The hard thing with them is we didn't know if they'd run or throw because number eight can run it on a third and eight and get a first down. So anyway, we played. We didn't make the play, and, you know, I got to a fourth and one. We know what happened after that. I know most of your questions are, are gonna be red zone. You're gonna go there, I'm sure. I, I understand it, I, I get it. I hope you can understand that uh, I'm not gonna go deep into the solutions, how we're gonna change it, how we're gonna fix it because I'm talking to the uh, the chargers, right? I'm not gonna do that. I, I will say that there's been an extreme focus on it. The players have taken ownership, the coaches have taken ownership. Uh, we did have some wrinkles in last year uh, excuse me, last week uh, in the red zone, one that I thought worked pretty good and one not so good. So we were kind of 50-50 on any changes, but it needs to get better. Um, you know, it begins with a lot of things. I mean, the basic football in the red zone, which is just kind of burrow up and man up, like you say. So that was the, the two teams that we played that have been pretty challenging in that regard, red zone and one uh, defense. Hopefully it'll make us better going forward. Uh, but what we're putting out there right now Obviously is not good enough so, Our guys have been down this road before We were here in 2019 And then somewhere along the way I know we went 16 points, 3 points, 3 points I don't know what the other stats were because, But I know what the points were So that's what we want to do This dialogue on that all the time um, uh, Look, at one's done a good job He's had spurts of good football um, But when you talk about What you're asking about is a position change um, well, position change is going to be a when somebody's not playing it. You it. Yeah. I mean, if you ask Dan, I'm sure he'll tell you he wants to play better. If you ask any of the 11 guys that play the positions on defense, I'm sure they, they'll tell you they want to play better. Um Juan's done them some good things for us. He just needs to earn his way back. We talked, Juan and I had a conversation on Tuesday. Um, the game, obviously, the first game, Tyron didn't play, so Juan mm-hmm. was out for a lot. In um, this game, Tyron's coming back. And, Dan's in there. So, what did happen is we, you know, in the, in the packages that one is in there, four, we weren't in very much. I mean, Baltimore kept us in that base pack. And it's just, just it's So,
0: we'll see where it goes. We're going to need,
1: before it's all said and done, we're going
0: to be there. Dan, Look, like I said before, I give coaches the benefit of the doubt on this stuff. They just have so much more information when it comes to personnel, and they're obviously motivated to put the right guy on the field. So... I'm sitting here wanting to believe that there's some, like, bigger or broader plan involved in Sorensen playing ahead of Thornhill and, you know, at least playing ahead of him for now. But I have to say, I don't love that Spags, like, frame this like playing Thornhill above Sorensen would be a panic move. I don't like that. I don't think it's accurate, first of all. And I also don't think it does much to make Thornhill feel confident or good about his place in the defense. Um, He's not a panic guy. Like, he's a really talented player. And in 2019, before that knee injury, he was making more plays than Sorensen. So we don't have to present it that way. You know, that Thornhill is just like this break glass in case of emergency guy because he's not. He's a really good football player. And I think he's someone that the Chiefs need at his best to be at their best. So, guys, look, that's (laughs) that's all I have this week. Uh, But I'm telling you this. We are one more failure by the defense on Sunday from this show taking on like at least a PG-13 rating because that dude from Lee Summit was heated. Um, all right. Thanks to everybody who called in, uh, even those we couldn't get to. Thanks to Monty Davis uh, for putting this all together. Um, and as always, the biggest thanks to you for joining and letting us be a small part of your life. Um, okay, guys, have a great weekend. Be kind.